This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Usim, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I'm your host, Anne Greenhall, Deputy Director of the Anne and John McNulty Leadership Program. And tonight I am flying solo. My very dear colleagues, Mike Yusim, Executive Director of the Center for Leadership and Change Management, and Jeff Klein, our Executive Director of the McNulty Leadership Program, both are off tonight. But I am not alone. I am not alone in this. In fact, I am not alone in the studio, which is an extra special pleasure because listeners, you might not know, but probably about two thirds of our of our interviews are on the phone and about a third in person. And the in-person interviews are especially enjoyable because it's so nice to actually have someone in the studio and to make eye contact and have a conversation. So tonight I am talking with the president and director director of the Philadelphia Free Library. And the Philadelphia Free Library is the largest library system in Pennsylvania and one of the largest in the U.S. And the president and director of the Free Library is Siobhan Reardon. Siobhan, welcome to the show tonight. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Ann. It's and, a pleasure to be here. And listeners, if you're longtime listeners, you will know that I spoke with Siobhan briefly just uh, not even a half hour, but a half an hour in October of of 2014, October 22nd of 2014. And Siobhan, I actually went back to listen to that interview in preparation just to sort of see where did, you know, what what were we talking about? Where did we leave off? How can we begin the conversation? And at that time, you reminded me that you began at the Free Library in 2008. That's right. Right (laughs) after the financial crisis. Right, during the financial (laughs) crisis. During the crisis. I I arrived here, uh, started on September 8th, and two weeks later, literally, the the economy started to just tank. So I will not take... um, blame for that no, at all. In right. No, no, <laughs> And all that happened um, with the economy even in here in Philadelphia. Now, so. and I didn't ask this then, but I'm going to ask it now. Um, you know, in those first two weeks when you started your position, what were you expecting? Um, so, you know, always when you start a brand new job in a brand new city, because I'm born and raised in New York and have been in New York woman all my girl woman yeah. child uh, all my life and um this was my first foray uh with a position outside of new york and so i was just popping with a big billion ideas about running this very large library system here and um you know all of those big ideas get tempered when you know, all of a sudden you have to start dealing very quickly with a budget reduction. But it wasn't something that I was unused to because, um, you know, in, in New York City, whether I was at the New York Public Library, Brooklyn Public Library, mm-hmm. the, it was always sort of a, a dance, if you will, you know, between, you know, um, uh, adding library, adding support for public libraries or pulling support for public libraries. And it was always mm-hmm. a very intense negotiated process. But here, it was such a severe process. And um, and I and I think the choices that then Mayor Nutter had to mm-hmm. make when one there wasn't a good choice to make. And so... You know, you make, you sort of sit and uh, at that point in time, I really didn't know the neighborhoods as well as I do now. And so I was making cold, um, pretty much business oriented decisions on how it is we Mm -hmm. were going to handle the substantial reductions we had. And so, you know, um, and so you make the decisions around um, at that point in time, I, you know, with a large budget reduction, I was recommending actually closing 11 libraries at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and. While that was a really good business decision, yeah. what I came, came to learn almost immediately after that is that uh, this city loves its libraries and mm-hmm. doesn't want to know from closing a library, a public library in mm-hmm. their neighborhoods, um, whether it is 
that safe haven for children yeah. or just that? And what was really came out was that how the having a public library in the neighborhoods here in Philadelphia meant that this the, uh, talked about the mm-hmm. stability of our neighborhood and, you know, yeah. closing a library meant that there's a potential instability that could potentially occur. And that was actually affirmed by uh, we had a study done by the Fells School here around mm-hmm. the value of the public library here in Philadelphia. And that was absolutely affirmed that how valuable it was to have an important civic asset like a library or a rec center in your neighborhood because it added it added that much value to your home. So. Yeah. And now if my memory serves me right, the cuts were really substantial. Was it 11 million? So of- in, in total. So the, the portion that was um, from the city of Philadelphia was 8 million. And then that was um, added to by the reductions at the state level, which was nearly four million dollars, three point something million dollars. So it added, you know, it was nearly yeah. nearly twelve million dollars to, to go through. And did you and did you close those eleven? No, libraries? never, never. never. No. Look at that. Look the at hue that. and the hue and cry from the. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was wow. It was impressive. It was substantial. Um, and I was even hung in effigy at City Hall. So, you know, <laughs> I don't think there are too many people who get that claim to fame. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and that gave you a little introduction, too, to the Philadelphia sports fan and, as well. Oh. <laughs> yes. A little appreciation. My husband is a rabid 76ers fan. It is quite fascinating. <laughs> oh, yes. That is great. Mm-hmm. All right. So now, but you were facing an $11 million shortfall. Mm-hmm. So what did you do to begin to close that gap? So uh, almost immediately, you had a... I had to go back to my board and say, look, you know, we cannot continue to run the system the way we would traditionally run the library system. We couldn't be all things to all people. So we kind of had to narrow, um, never mind, you know, how many hours we were going to be open, but what were the services we were going to be able to deliver, mm-hmm. um, how many librarians and, and staff, um, because we did eliminate nearly 117 positions. Those All of those positions were not filled, however, um, so that was important. <clears throat> But it really made us think that we we had to sort of hit a reset button. We went through a very extensive st- um, strategic planning process, mm-hmm. and under, first through scenario planning of understanding sort of the mm-hmm. the best and the worst of times and how it is this organization really does need to learn to pivot more quickly right. and uh, be a bit more nimble in its decision making. Um, and then we set up, um, set set um, apart, set the next motion to go into a strategic planning process. And so, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> everything you learn if you don't learn along the way a million times over, it's really quite fascinating. So that first strategic plan had like twelve goals, and under the goals, all of these objectives. Yeah. And so, although I will say, I'm pretty pleased having come out of that. You know, when I came, we came out of that in 2018, late 2017. We accomplished a tremendous amount um, in. Really looking at the programs that were going to make and have or needed to have impact, and mm-hmm. that's when we really began looking at our role in childhood. You know, the free library's role in early childhood literacy, mm-hmm. and so the natural sort of evolution of the Read by Fourth campaign coming mm-hmm. under the roof of the Free Library of Philadelphia. We needed to um, really upgrade our physical facilities because almost to we have fifty four physical facilities. Right. And now, during this period of time, acquired the became uh, the Rosenbeck um, the Rosenbeck Museum and Library came under our roof, oh, and, a and gem. it is a beauty. And mm. you know, we'll talk about special collections if mm. we want to later. But the point was is that we had to really begin addressing the physical accessibility mm-hmm. of our buildings, and the accessibility in the larger term of not only the physical. Um, accessibility of the building, but just the human accessibility. So, mm-hmm. and one of the things we learned from one of our projects um, was um, we created these hotspots around the city, and in these hotspots, which were based in community-based organizations, um, so our the deal was we would bring the technology and the training, and we wanted access to your constituents, and you had to secure the building. And so, what we learned though was, um, and they were, and these hotspots were typically in low literacy, um, sort of economically challenged neighborhoods. And almost to a person who took advantage of the services, we learned, never had crossed the transom of a public library in the city of Philadelphia. Hmm. Why? Because they thought that we had that you had to be literate in order to use a public library. So that meant that hmm. was volumes right. of information for us oh. around just our rigid presence. Yeah. You know, some of our libraries with these big giant stairs and the big yeah. pillars and you were mm-hmm. going into a temple of knowledge. And, you know, mm-hmm. where you're low literate, that's a pretty intimidating process. And then, of course, there's these barriers, you know. We're pretty barrier-oriented profession. And so to that was mm-hmm. sort of the work over the over the um, 
this bunch of years was to really understand we really need to let down our guard a little bit, if mm-hmm. you will, and and make our places far more accessible and thoughtful um, mm-hmm. and community-oriented places. And so, oh, Siobhan, you've said so much. So now, <laughs> no, it's wonderful. I didn't it stop. Is, I didn't no, it's over. great. So great. So mm-hmm. I, and I also recall that when we spoke last at 2014, you had uh, been the recipient of a grant from the William Penn Foundation. Yes. That was significant, and I don't remember the dollar amount, but twenty five million. Okay, so um, that was it. That grant that began the strategic planning process, or did the strategic planning process begin before? And the grant was one of the outcomes. The latter, very much the latter. Okay, so because we were presenting a vision of an organization that was in transition, and we needed, we understood that we needed to create a far more accessible organization on on just about every yeah. level. Um, uh, we met with the William Penn Foundation, and they, and they were going through some um, reorientations themselves at the mm-hmm. time, and um, they were they seemed pretty jazzed by what we mm-hmm. were talking about, and that in order for us to do the work we do, our places needed to change. So, and you because. Know, it's all about if you create the, the, a positive, affirmative space, the work in there should be positive and affirmative. And, okay. and hmm. so um, so really changing that that physical environment of serving the big shelves and the big stirred chairs and the big barriers as you walk in, you had to create spaces that were far more flexible. And hmm. you was, I was seeing that. I, do, I belong to an international organization known as IFLA, the International Federations of Libraries and Associations. And I've been blessed in this job to have boards that um, – um, appreciate my membership. I'm in I'm in leadership in on one of the divisions on, called the Metropolitan Libraries, and I've been able to travel around the world to see libraries and um, see libraries, the programming in the libraries, mm-hmm. the the thought process going on um, in these libraries around the world uh, as to what it takes to build a really good library system as yeah. well as good buildings. Mm-hmm. And so, from those experiences, I was able to bring back lots of thoughts around the flexible spaces. Um, the the need for our staff to be not from, you know to be from around you know get out from behind, behind the desk and be far more connected to the community, and and William Penn really loved that aspiration on our part, yeah. and so that I think that that was why we were successful in attaining the grant, mm-hmm. that very substantial grant, and it has meant. Um, the art has given us the ability to recreate five new libraries Great. in the neighborhoods, as well as the brand new unit that's about to open up in our at our Parkway Central Libraries, where we replace the stacks with three new public service units. So, oh, that's wonderful. So, yeah. am I right in understanding that the grant helped you address the physical structure, and in some cases, you have some really. Uh, gems, including some, if I'm remembering right, some old Carnegie, sixteen of them, uh, libraries, as well as the Beaux Arts Library that we all know mm-hmm. in Center City. Mm-hmm. So these are beautiful, if imposing, structures. But you're able to shore up the structures, but work with the interior space precisely, so that it is more uh, inviting and accessible with fewer barriers between the librarians and the people who walk through the door. But the other thing that the William Penn Grant did that it was so substantial was it allowed for us to hire community organizers. And that's substantial because in this process, we, um, through another grant, actually, we received um, uh, Words of Play grant from the PNC Bank. And in that grant, it was all about us getting um, working in um, economically challenged neighborhoods, again, low literacy, but it was an early childhood literacy grant. And one of the things we did was we actually hired a community organizers to go around into that uh, neighborhood, into the bodegas and the and the hair salons and the barber shops and, and you name it, into mm-hmm. these really unique local places where the community goes. And um, it was through that that Gigi was able to bring in whole communities of people on Saturday morning at 11 o'clock with a little bit of food to bring in their babies and learn how to, you know, read, sing, and play with your baby so that their vocabulary uh, levels were substantially improved. And so it was the work of that community organizer that gave us the impetus, mm-hmm. you know, in this 21st Century Libraries project that 
these community organizers are essential to these neighborhoods where they don't know the library as theirs, mm-hmm. low literacy levels, economic challenges. And so these folks went literally door to door, went to community organizations, mm-hmm. went um, really fanned out in the neighborhood to really uh, begin to say, as we reopen these libraries, we want you to take ownership of them. And that's been an important improvement in our community relations as well. All right. I want to come back to this uh, thought about advancing literacy, but let me remind everyone that you're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ann Greenhall, and I am speaking tonight in studio with President and Director of the Philadelphia Free Library, Siobhan Reardon. Siobhan, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, advancing literacy. So if I'm hearing you right, it's by engaging community members, community activists, and bringing the, um, I I don't want to say the wealth of the library, but the many um, avenues that the library (laughs) makes available to the people, (laughs) rather than having everyone come to the library, bring the library to the people. Right. So the essence of library in the 21st century, it's a pretty ubiquitous word, right? So yes, there are the physical facilities here in Philadelphia, but our work actually can take place anywhere Anywhere. when you think about it. Because now through uh, um, technology and digital enterprises, we are able to bring literacy components to any and any place really and so that's why we do so much work with our daycare centers and um, going into community centers to do training um, and we can do almost anything in a park in, a, in the summertime that sort of thing but I think what's also important is um, this understanding for the community that this actually belongs to you and and that you know so the traditional um, the traditional work of a librarian was we decided the collection, we decided the programs, we decided the look and feel of the place. And what is important now is how the community comes in and actually insists that we want to participate in the decision around <laughs> program where we actually like some rec- do some rec- you know to provide some uh, recommendations around the collections and and that that sort of thing. So, and I do love I, I personally I I find it really affirming that mm-hmm. that relationship is changing and mm-hmm. that the community you know when coming out of the hecticness of 2008 2009 that the community finally realizes that it actually really does belong to us and we're going to have something to say and i think that that's been a really nice change yeah quite frankly now that's a nice point so it was in the face of potentially losing that community library that the community realized right. this is really important to us mm-hmm. and the library in turn recognized okay how do we how do we bridge how do we reach uh reach each other that's right so um is it fair to say that, in short, the mission of the library is to advance literacy, which we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about, mm-hmm. to guide learning and to inspire curiosity? That's right. That's exactly it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we've talked a little bit about advancing literacy. How about guiding learning? When you think about guiding learning, what do you, what do you have in mind? So uh, guiding learning is um, a lot of our after-school um, uh, our, our after-school um, work with the, with children and students, we do uh, we have a lot. We do a lot of work with our teenagers on you know um, you know just what it is to you know live and breathe in Philadelphia and the things mm-hmm. about um, um, you, you know what are you what are you thinking about as you move on in life and you know some people will go on to college, some people will not go on to college, and but it really is about finding more under, and understanding more about the you as a teenager. We have um, one of my favorite um, stories recently is a bunch of um, a group of teenagers in our uh, Philadelphia City Library. Um, there was, you know, after the 2016 elections, 2017, you know, and moving through a lot of concern around, quote, social justice, you know, as on the, on the broad picture. Mm-hmm. And of course, as um, the as Black Lives Matter here in the city became a stronger and stronger um, um um, sort of force, if you will. Um, these young people were were kind of wanting to find themselves and get, understand the issues a bit more. And so they now have um, an important sort of social justice forum that these teenagers have decided for themselves. This is where they want to spend their time and do the research around it. And so they're guided by 
the branch librarian there, and um, she's mm-hmm. wonderful about providing the kind of resources and teaching them. Well, and we get to do our librarianship at the same time, <laughs> teaching the resources. But the strength of this, uh, and it, the group just keeps growing and growing, and they decide mm-hmm. upon the what it is they're going to research and come and talk to, you know, whether it's in a month period of time or a six-week period of time. But it's it's just so that's that guiding learning piece of it is 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 really trying to and you know English as a second language classes and right. our culinary literacy center at Parkway Central, where we work with uh, particularly uh, in our edible alphabet program we're working with folks that have just moved to the United States so more or less refugees, and teaching them English language skills through through cooking and and using cooking as a medium for learning so it's pretty broad and we're getting pretty creative about how we go through this process. Yeah, I love that when I saw that I. I thought that was just so wonderful to take something like cooking mm-hmm. and to use that as an occasion to build literacy and also to foster learning. You never, you know, and that's so, and it was so plain when we finally realized yeah. that that's what we should be doing up on the fourth floor of the, of the, of the, of the Parkway Central. There was a kitchen up there, you know, and it was, there was a public cafeteria up there, you know, in the forties and fifties. And then, so as we were reworking that, we decided to put, put in a demonstration kitchen because that's, it's so, it's so subliminal when you think about how much learning you do, just even as a young child watching your mother or your father or whomever do the cooking in your home Mm -hmm. and how much conversation occurs and how much tactile learning occurs. And you're listening and you're singing and you're participating. I know it was a very big thing for me growing up. And that's what it was, is that my, um, just, I just remember all of the, once Sunday nights, I was, my mother asked me to make the muffins. And I felt, you know, as a young girl, I was kind of like my mother's asking me to make the muffins. Yay. But it was also my my family gave me uh, my my husband and my children for Christmas gave me cooking lessons. I don't think that was a hint, but I think <laughs> you know great. who knows. But it was that learning, you know, in a demonstration kitchen, just the socialization, the sort of yeah. mutual learning, that sort of connectedness, and that's when we decided that this was the way to go because we were trying to reach this. Pro, you know, absolutely confounding number of half a million people in the city of Philadelphia over the age of 18 are functionally illiterate. And, you know, for us to really become strong and own the issue, um, we have to get creative about how it is we're going to start attacking that. And the more you talk about it, the more uh, the approach reminds me of a Montessori education. Right. Oh, right. Of course. Right? Yes, yes, yes. So there's something in the learning by doing. And not only are you learning, um, you know, perhaps the alphabet, but also fractions, yes. <laughs> math. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> and it's a full-bodied experience. It is. It is. And it's, and really, it, uh, it, it insists upon your engagement, right? right? So it's not like you can be, you know, go in, like you go into church and you sit in the back of the building. You know, that priest actually sees you sitting in the back of the church. <laughs> yeah. you know. But um, so, but, you know, so it is, it is an inclusive participatory right. event. Are there other creative examples that uh, that come to mind like that? So we also now um, we're launching um, next on the twelfth of uh, April. We'll be opening up in our very formal space um, our new business research research and innovation center. And that work, we have been sort of in practice uh, at the central library in a excuse me a much smaller location at Parkway Central and. So what we what we're doing it's a little it's a bit different from traditional orientation to a public library in that our our staff will literally be onboarding our customers or our clientele into into this library um, and the idea is that we want to know um, who's there why they're there how they're there and how we can best be supportive of that enterprising journey that they're on so this space is about. Um, Independent entrepreneurs, small business men and women, families, um, and the sweet spot is typically below uh, a very small company, below 20 employees. And um, and really working with them, uh, and we've come to learn that our sweet spot is all about, it's less about the newer business versus a business that wants to grow more. And we provide a tremendous amount of resources in you know whether it's databases or other opportunities to network, and I think that's the it's the networking piece of it that's so important. Um, you know whose whose businesses are successful, whose businesses have have had learned to pivot, um, and all of that. Because the idea here is that the city, in any city, it's a small business um, administration statistic, and that. Um, 
about 65 to 70 percent of all businesses that start in one year fail. Right. And then almost 80 percent of the what's, what's remaining fail by the end of the second year. And so the mission of this unit is to reduce that failure rate. And so to provide them the kind of support, whether it's through our ability as librarians and library staff, but also to bring in other business uh, communities and mentors to help work with those individuals who are looking to grow or launch or, you know, just even find a job for the first time. So. Now, Siobhan, when you were when you were considering this idea, uh, I'm I'm imagining that you were thinking about what we would call here in this building the quote competitive landscape. So, mm-hmm. in other words, uh, what other entities are offering Precisely. this kind of support? Um, so. What did you find, and why did you decide to go forward? So it's a great question because Feather Houston, when at, at, um, at the Wincote Foundation, when we were launching this, said there are so many other organizations out there doing this, and I said not where we are. And so, so yes, the community colleges out there yeah. doing this, but they're um, businesses that are above fifty employees or more. And then there's the Enterprise Center, and they're mostly yeah. entrepreneurs, but mostly, um, uh, yes, in the food business, but mostly sort of singular entrepreneurs. And um, so it's a little bit different than our landscape because it's um, it's, a, it's a lot more research and development oriented than the practitioner orientation. It's not to say that there isn't a practitioner orientation at the Enterprise mm-hmm. Center. Um, they are they are our biggest competitor, by the way. Okay. I would say yeah. that, the, and we do a lot of work with the Enterprise Center, mm-hmm. so we're kind of trying to mutually compatible. Yeah, um, because there are folks that go to the Enterprise Center who would never make their way into Center City. So, um, and so that's kind of where we go there. And then, of course, we know that there are loads and loads and loads of organizations that get involved with the tech startups, and mm-hmm. we knew from get from the get go that we were not going to be um, the place for the technology one percenters was not going to be at the free library because there are just so many other opportunities. Right. And so we're, we're the smaller business, um, you know, whether you want to start a food truck or whether you want to start, a, um, you know, a lot of the folks in the textile business and Queen Village and mom and pop and, but just those really sort of intermediate size, small intermediate size uh, businesses seem to be that where we're getting where we're gaining strength. Oh, so great. Well, Siobhan, we're going to come up on a just a short break and mm-hmm. then resume our conversation afterwards. I'm Anne Greenhall. I'm here with Siobhan Reardon, the president of the Philadelphia Free Library. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. We will be right back. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome back to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I am Anne Greenhall. My dear colleagues and co-hosts, Mike Yuseem and Jeff Klein, are off for the off for the evening, but they are missing a great show because I'm here in studio with Siobhan Reardon, and she is the director and president of the Philadelphia Free Library. Uh, we were talking a little bit about the history here when Siobhan arrived in 2008. We talked about the Pew Grant, the significant grant, $25 million, and the work that, Siobhan, you were able to complete because of that generous grant and other grants and other grants like it. Uh, I do want to look to the future, but let me just ask you, uh, when you came here, you were here in the Obama years, and then 2016, we had a change in election. Just what does the landscape look like now on this, on the local, on the city, the state, and the federal level? So on the local level, I think the Free Library will fare pretty well uh, in the current budget. We already know that Mayor Kenny is has already recommended a $2.5 million increase to our annual appropriation oh, to um, enhance our ability to serve all, li- you know, to serve our libraries at six days service, which is an important um, enhancement. Um, and then, of course, we have our, you know, there's a lot of advocacy um, around the free library here. We have an amazing, um, our friends groups and that sort of thing, they're forever they're some of the best advocates you could ever have in the world, really. They're quite wonderful. So um, at the state level, we're, uh, the dynamic has, uh, for, for funding for uh, public libraries across the state, and that comes through 
what what's called omnibus legislation. Mm-hmm. It's a formula that hasn't changed in quite a number of years. Um, there was a severe reduction, as we've talked, in 2009, and then we have not recovered, at least on the operating side, the subsidy side. But where um, there are opportunities for public libraries um, are through capital grants, whether it's the Keystone Capital Grants, and then there's the what, what's called RACB, which is the Regional Asset Capitalization Program, and we've been we've benefited from a number of those for uh, in support of the library renovations we've been doing. So on the capital side of things, I think it's we have access to resources, um, though not on the operating side. At the federal level, I can pretty much tell you we're pretty concerned right now. Um, the in the latest iteration of the federal budget, the president has basically wiped out in the next iteration of the budget the. Um, budget for the Institute of Museum Library Services, um, the NEA, National Endowment um, National Endowment for the Humanities, the NIH, the National Endowment for uh, Institute of Health. So deep, deep deeply concerning yeah. um, budget cuts to those very important grants, um, those organizations that provide a lot of support to public libraries, museums, um, institutes of health, that sort of thing. And um, we will um, actually going through a lot of advocacy and uh, signing on to a lot of um, um, sort of save the, save these institutions. Mm-hmm. The Congress, though, is very supportive of all of these. So we're, we're hopeful. Well, we just don't know, you know, yeah. sort of fortunately, the um, fortunately, I don't know, I'm trying not to be political about it, but the, there is a Democratic um, House of Representatives. So we think that, you know, there's the potential for it to be saved there. But will the Will the Senate do the same? Um, but listen, you know, these, these, every single time, um, we get an Institute of Museum of Libraries grant and what's called IMLS or the, or an NEH grant. Our legislators love to write us letters and have big check pictures and all of that kind yeah. of stuff. So I think, I think we might survive it, but I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that there's some fiscal damage to these important grant opportunity mm-hmm. organizations. So. Now, as you talk, uh, you remind me that the library is a physical place, mm-hmm. <laughs> although yes. you are spanning boundaries and going out yep. into the community. You also remind me that even when we think of the name, the, the free library. Mm-hmm. So just at heart, you know, what does the library stand for for you? So I... Um, it's a it's a it's a place for learning and growth. I mean, that's uh, those are two words that I I would I often use to say, and it's and it's and it's an experiential place if you allow it to be, and I and I say that in that in that way because um, there are those that that go to a public library in its physical form, and literally come in borrow book leaf right. So it's it's a very transactional, transactional right. Mm. And then, and then you have um, the kind of work that we're doing now to sort of step away from that transactional work and to be much more experiential. So that is why the Culinary Literacy Center was established. Mm-hmm. That is why we have an amazing authors, author event series. That is why, you know, we're, we're moving into the civic engagement space to make sure that our public has a space and a place that's safe to have the kind of um, conversation around difficult topics and make sure it's facilitated and supported in a way that all voices are are heard equitably. And so, mm-hmm. so it you know, but it is it's all about that ability to sort of sit and learn from one another rather yeah. than believe that you're the one that's always right. And I think libraries allow for that, and that's sort of my passion around the work of our organization mm-hmm. of all public library or any library really but in this lib- in this city so it's a city that has um, that has taken the freedom whether it's religion or or um, many other things that make Pennsylvania a really aspirational state on yes. its, on its True. you know when you think for its inception and and why why we don't allow for our, our public institutions to just continue in that vein? Um, and I and I think that this there's an there's a passion in me and there's an almost anger in me that says, let it be, let it let it be what it needs to be, and let the public <laughs> um, help us get there. You know, because we we can overly define and overly manage and overly discipline anything, and I think that it's yeah. You don't allow for the organic process of an organization to shift and, and grow. So that word free, the adjective, it really free does. matters. 
It sure does to me. <laughs> That's wonderful. When we talk, even though it's free, you know what I think the intent is that people are able to gain the garner the services without cost, even though. You know, I don't, I don't think that that's sort of the intellectual element for me. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, that's what's coming through. And I think it's very, you know, very important. When we talked long ago in 2014, you talked about a culture change. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of touched on it here a little bit when you spoke about how uh, perhaps in the past or maybe traditionally we think about libraries as having lots of barriers, you know, yeah. staid presence. When you spoke in 2014, you talked a lot about a culture of, and I'm hearing it here too, a culture of growth, of learning, of trust, of access. So does that, how, how are we, how is the library doing in that regard, so, in culture change? Oh, I think that we're actually doing pretty well. Um, so I, I do think people, this is one of the most trusted organizations in the city of Philadelphia. I'll dare say that. I think people... Um, Really uh, like the fact that we respect their privacy when they come into our, you know, if they're coming and doing some level of research or requesting whatever. I mean, we don't judge anybody as mm-hmm. they come through the door and we try really hard not to and, and nor should we. So I think that that element of work, um, we have been successful and will continue to be successful. It's just the mantra of the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, we, everybody understands that we're a learning organization, yeah. you know, and there's, um, that is at the core of everything we do, which is why our mission statement begins with advanced literacy. And so, and, and we really do believe in the, in the need for all Philadelphians to be able to read and, and write um, because it's the future of the city, whether yeah. it, it's, um, you know, it is an ec- the economic future of the city. It is the sort of long-term future of the health of the city. Um, and I think we have, to, we have to move the city to a very literate place. Yeah. So I don't so, know if I answered your question. Oh, it's but, a great, no, great answer. And I guess I, I might like to ask you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, um, you've emphasized learning. And I know that you sit on a variety of boards. Mm-hmm. And could you talk a little bit about your experience on those boards and how they have advanced your learning mm-hmm. in your role right. uh, overseeing the, the free library? So I'm on two business boards. I'm on the, <laughs> which has helped me, which really helps guide um, uh, in my conversations and my work with the, with the, with the staff in our business, in our business research library. Or up in our, you know, in our neighborhood libraries where we're focusing on economic development and growing business supports in our neighborhood libraries. So being on the the chamber, um, the business chamber, and um, and the I'm on the Irish business chamber. Guess why? Um, <laughs> so, uh, but but it really is it is really it's a different world for you know. I came I grew up in corporate America. And so understood, you know, that was my first learning. And then moving over into the not-for-profit and then the government world, these are different. It is really <laughs> different. So, um, and then you really have to understand business and you really have to understand the ins and outs of negotiation and the ins and outs of, uh, um, you know, sort of how uh, business gets done uh, you know, sort of just in the in the from a conversational but a very tactile mm-hmm. um, um, standpoint on on understanding that the you have specific resources and you live and live and breathe within those resources and then you always want to you want to see a profit to the bottom line and then so you, that can carry you through through you know blah 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 yeah I am at Wharton so yeah, you know, yeah. people are in Wharton are probably holding their heads saying oh my god <laughs> she runs the free library so um but it's it's that it's that sort of understanding of the the corporate environment the participant you know and how those chambers are run this membership organization these membership organizations are run and i'm in a different place than most people sitting around these boards um but i can add when my my point is you you add um the sort of when you think about the not-for-profit side of things about the we can add the softness to the the very Mm -hmm. difficult tough corporate conversations that need to be there. But I love being involved in those corporate, you know, listening to them, understanding sort of what it is, how the corporate community contributes to the city. And I think that's been essential. <laughs> so my other um, other board is I'm on the board of Poets House, uh, oh. which is a poetry organization in New York City. It's an organization I've known for a long time. Um, my days at New York Public Library and Brooklyn right. Public Library and um, Lee Persetti, who is the CEO there, 
Um, the, she prefers a librarian on, as a board member. And so one of the librarians was going off and she called me and asked me, would I like to join? And I like, I love to join it. Cause I, you know, I'm a fan of poetry. I'm not a poet mm-hmm. myself, but sure do love the, the form. Um, and so, and so it's been my pleasure to be able to serve on that board and now treasurer there. Um, but also, you know, this is a, to talk about a beautiful, gentle world that, <laughs> that brings learning into, in such a gracious, lovely way. You know, it just, it's so spiritual on a lot of <laughs> levels. And so, so that's been great. And then, um, another board I'm on is the Philadelphia Education Fund. And this is an important organization in my mind because it really does work with high school students, um, and through, uh, through their early uh, through college, actually, on on college and career readiness and um, really working with students, whether in a number of high schools around the city, helping them understand how it is you get from, you know, from a, you know, to be a good student and so, and their process through, uh, through high school to, to, you know, whether it's the FAFSA applications and helping yeah. them with the essays and getting into, um, getting into college. It is a very college oriented um, organization, but they're very strategic and understanding the, um, their their executive director is a woman by the name of Farah Jimenez, and and she has brought a strategy, uh, a robust strategy, to an organization that's small, um, but 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 powerful in its in its in its ultimate essence of reaching several thousand children and moving them from um, into possibility and then reality into college and then sort of moving them through that process. Mm. Javon, mm. you are doing you are doing great things. And let me remind everyone you are listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ann Greenhall and I'm speaking with Siobhan Reardon, the president of the Philadelphia Free Library. So, uh, Siobhan, so would it be fair to say that those uh, board experiences, on the one hand, stretch you a little bit when mm-hmm. you are when you are participating on the boards for for profits, and maybe you're a little bit more at home when you are participating on the boards of the non for profits, and and maybe bringing some of your um, you know some some of your own experience to those boards. Mm-hmm. Would that be so fair to certainly say? to the, certainly I feel more, um, um, what do I want to say? Um, more, I feel I contribute more to the not-for-profits and my experiences mm-hmm. in my not-for-profit experiences to the poet's house and mm-hmm. to, um, PEF. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what, um, for me on the, on the corporate boards, not so much corporate boards, um, the chambers, I, it, it's, it's it's as I'm learning almost as much as I'm learning more than I am contributing. I would say <laughs> at this stage of the game, but I have a lot to contribute. You yes. know, particularly on the on the um, the Irish Chamber, the Irish um, American Business Network uh, mm-hmm. organization, because it is it's a fairly new organization, and so structuring with bylaws and all of that sort of stuff, which I know pretty well, um, has been a really fun bit of my my work there. Yeah. And um, but on the on the big uh, business chamber in Philadelphia, that's I'm, I'm, it's me learning yeah. and and understanding how much I can take back and and help create a different type of orientation right. for our our organization. So oh, that's great, really. So um, I just like you know we have a little bit of time left and maybe just take a little bit of a walk down memory lane because I, it maybe I don't know if this is true for you, but at least for me, when I look back at the choices that I've made, they all add up. It's right. a linear. Mm-hmm. It's a linear trajectory. <laughs> but when I think of myself when I was 21 and looking forward, if you'd told me then that I would be here having the pleasure of interviewing you, I would have just, you know, giggled and fallen off my chair. Not 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 really uh been able to believe that. So, when you look back when you were very young, did you imagine that you would be you know the head of the library system in Philadelphia. Not at all. Not not at all. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't even. You know, I love going to libraries. Uh, you know, I grew up in a very large uh, Irish American home in Yonkers, New York, and um, and uh, and one of nine children. It was the running to the library on Saturday afternoon after my chores was my escape. Oh. Um, and so yeah, oh yeah, and so um, so I always had a very fond. A real fondness for libraries, but no, actually, my goal was to become a spy, 
and <laughs> uh, no, seriously, and um, and really serious work toward you know I graduated from college with a degree in political science, and so that was it was one of two things: it was either to become a spy or to become a foreign service uh, officer in the State Department because I wanted to travel. I oh. wanted to travel, and so the only piece of the um, the my desire that actually is met is the travel part because of my my association with the International Federation. But, but, you know, so I even went as far as starting to take the exams for the CIA and the State Department, and you pass the first round. So when I passed the first round uh, at the CIA, my father went, you can't go any further on this one. Oh, and I really? just said, what? Dad, what? You know, and he said, Siobhan, your face does all your talking for you. <laughs> you <laughs> oh, no. Like, Forget it. <laughs> oh, no. so, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, I, I spent half my life with my hands covering my face. <laughs> People <laughs> oh, don't know what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Oh, now, Siobhan, now, where were you in the in the birth order of those nine? I was number six of nine. Six of mm-hmm. nine. Mm-hmm. And how many boys and how many girls? Five boys and four girls. That's pretty well matched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, pretty yep. well matched. Now, you know what? I'm at the risk of being a little bit too presumptuous here. I wonder if that goal of being a spy wasn't met a little bit, because curiosity is part of what you're trying to no, cultivate yeah. at the library, mm-hmm. and a spy needs to be mighty <laughs> curious. <Yeah. laughs> I'm a, an innately curious person, person. you know, yeah. uh, and I'm innately curious about people. Um, and places, uh, really mm-hmm. in particular. So whenever I go to someplace new, I spend hours and hours just walking around by myself, just exploring, walking down strange alleys, mm-hmm. seeing who's there. But I really like, I, you know, this is this is the product of being my mother's daughter. Um, you know, my mother is uh, still alive at 97. Oh, wonderful. And um, she was always a person that sat with, I, I referred to her as the human periscope. And so, <laughs> and she would just quietly not say anything watch people observe people and so some a lot of that uh, i've learned from my mother um and in non-judgmental form just to really watch particularly when you're going into uh, a new country a new Mm -hmm. city watch how people sort of behave so that you don't walk in there like a a bull in a Mm -hmm. china closet thinking you know everything because you come from philadelphia or i came from you know new york whatever um and i think that quiet observation has has really helped um, in my my being ability to be, I'm not a patient person at all, mm-hmm. and so but it has helped me to sort of become a bit more patient around around the learning process. Yeah, I'm sure that's true, and um, and probably in moving from position to position mm-hmm. and organization to organization, right. you've been a good, in a sense, a good student of the organization right. that you're, you know, that you're in. So when you first started, you were. Let me make. Let me see if I've got this right. You were a senior planning specialist for Borden Dairy Company. Is that right? Actually, so yes, the Borden Company, but I, I probably don't even have this on my resume. My actual first job with the Borden Company was a secretary. Ah. So, and, <laughs> and I made my way up through that organization pretty quickly um, because I did have financial skills and I did, ta- you know, I did have accounting background. So I moved into a junior accounting and then a senior accounting role fairly quickly through that into, into, um, into strategic planning and business planning for the Borden Company. Yeah, I was in the International Division. It was really There's cool. There's the travel part. Right? Yeah. I got to go to Columbus, Ohio. Okay. <laughs> so. All right. And then also budget manager for Pinkerton. Yes. And so uh, so this is interesting. And so this was during the uh, during the 80s. And so there was a lot of engulf and devour going on. And so the Borden Company was bought out by a private equity firm, KKR. And so lost my job there and then a bunch of months later um, went to work for the Pinkerton Security Guard Company in their international head, their headquarters in lower Manhattan. And so I was there three years. They were bought out by um, another security guard company and out of work again. And that's how I made oh. my uh, way into um, libraries that the New York Public Library had a position open for budget analysts. And I, and I said, oh, you know, I like libraries. That'd be really nice. New York Public Library, cool place. Um and so I, I, well, I'll do that for five years, then I'll go back into corporate America. So here, thirty-two years later, wow. it's uh, it was it's been a. That's how I made my way into it, and I have enjoyed my growth and mm-hmm. my my evolution in this world. You know, I didn't, I was not a librarian, and didn't become a librarian until uh, 
2004. And so for many years was, I've always been in administration. And so, um, and so that's why the, all of that business planning and that, and strategic planning in my background has really helped, um, as I sort of steer, uh, a, a large organization like the Free Library through, uh, you know, during this, this sort of SE past that we've been, we've been on. So. Oh, so now, Siobhan, when you say that you didn't actually become a librarian until 2004, are you saying that you acquired, uh, librarian's credentials in 2004? Yes. yes. I went to graduate school, um, for um, to get my master's in library science in 2003, and 13 months later, <laughs> that's how long it took me uh, to get my degree. So that's kind of an intensive process. Now, uh, w- did you feel that that was necessary to do in order to continue to um, aspire to more leadership roles in the library? So it's you cannot become an executive director of a public library in Pennsylvania or in New York without having your master's in library science. And so I wanted to be the queen. And so I needed that. I needed that degree. So it helps a lot, though. It really does help as much as I knew about libraries, having lived and breathed New York Public Library, Brooklyn Public Library, those first. So I'm from the administrative. So I knew how to run a library, but I didn't know about a library. Yeah, does yeah, that make sense? It does. So, yeah, yeah, it does. And so once I, I did go through that degree process, the librarians, the professionals, the practitioners, actual, you had a different, the relationship therefore then became different because you understood yes. really yeah. um, what they were about in a much more um, significant way. Yeah. But now what I love, and I hope our listeners will take note, that your initial entry came through your work in finance and yes. a budget. Yes. And then it was only later, 2003, when right. you started. And then let's be mindful, it was 2008 that you took on the position at our Philadelphia Free Library. Right. That's so right. I think there's good news for all of us. We can, the you path, can all aspire the, to be librarians. You can be librarian. <laughs> library you, you don't have to begin as a librarian. That's right. right. So that technical expertise is important. But oh, even incredible. though you didn't have it at the beginning, you got it right. and you continue to move on. Right. So, Siobhan, we have just a minute. So I'd like to give you the opportunity just to tell our listeners a little bit more about how they can you know, learn more about the library here in Philadelphia. So, sure. Um, Probably the easiest thing to do is to recommend that everybody take a look at our website at uh, freelibrary.org. It is um, chock-a-block full of information on how to. You can go on and get your library card. If you don't have a library card, you can now do it online. And actually, today in the city of Philadelphia, we lost, uh, we we, we launched uh, the PHL ID card. And so with your uh, with your municipal ID card, you can now your library card can now be attached to that. So now it is a government ID um, that you can attach your library card to. So, um, so yeah, that library card is your sort of pathway to a lot of exciting adventures, if you will. You know, yeah. whether it's a parent with a child and the kind of work that we do with small children and their families. Whether you are looking to look for a job, change a job, we can support you there. And then, of course, just, you know, really, um, for the long-term users of the library, we have books there, too. Then you can borrow them. <laughs> so good. And, and Siobhan, I can't help but just adding a pitch to all of those in our, all of our listeners out there to be sure to support your local. Please. Public yes. library. Mm-hmm. The word freedom has to do with the ability to borrow a book seemingly for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nope, there's a cost to all of that. So there's I thank you for saying that, Anne, because we would yes. love, we need your support. We really. absolutely do. And mm-hmm. the freedom underpins our democracy. Right. It really does. It really does. So, that's the other piece about running a public library is, right. is that. Well, Siobhan, thank you so much. I want to just give you a very special thanks and listeners, thank you for listening to my interview tonight with Siobhan Reardon, the uh, president and director of the Philadelphia Free Library. I want to thank our producer, Patty Hall, and of course, our sound engineer, Jeffrey Simmons. I'm Ann Greenhall, and you've been listening to Leadership in Action on business radio powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. Jeff Klein and Mike Yuseem will be back next week. Take care. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.